listening to the Paul McGuire Report. This is Paul McGuire. On today's program, I want to give you a picture, a vision, if you will, not necessarily, quote, a supernatural vision, but I believe an inspired vision, not in the sense of the inspired and inerrant Word of God, because there is nothing above the Word of God. It is our final authority in all things. And therefore, the Bible, or the Word of God, from Genesis to Revelation, is the inspired and inerrant, without error, Word of God. But I want to give you a picture based on three things that are very important. Number one, divine inspiration. But again, not in the sense of uh, the, the 100% uh, perfection of the divine inspiration of the Word of God. Divine inspiration, which happens to all of us when we are inspired by the Word of God or something we do is inspired by the Word of God. In one sense, you could say that if we are endeavoring to do what God's Word tells us to do and we're reading the Word of God and we're rightly dividing the Word of God or understanding the Word of God properly, then what we're doing are our words we can claim to to a finite degree, the emphasis is on finite, we can claim that our words or actions to a finite degree, because we are imperfect, um, can be inspired by God. Okay, many of you know that I've been researching the, the topics, the categories, and the subjects uh, regularly featured on the Paul McGuire Report for decades. I mean, a long time, because I began in childhood. Uh, and I've never stopped since then. So what I would like to do very briefly, and we're going to hit the ground running, is this. I want to give you what I believe is an accurate depiction, an accurate scenario of what is going to happen or the possibilities or the possibility frame of what is going to happen to the United States of America and then consequently the world, because America influences the world. I'm going to give you my own human, and I want to emphasize the word my own human, because I don't, I don't want to ever misrepresent myself or delude myself uh, into thinking that I'm more than what I am, which is a mere mortal man, like you are a mere mortal man or woman. America, as you've noticed, is in the greatest crisis that it has ever been in since the history of the founding of America. And prior to that, there has never been a time of greater jeopardy, greater danger facing us, the American people, than right now at this precise moment. And the thing that amplifies this present danger, the thing that, that amplifies this present danger is the fact that the very people who have the power to, to overcome the danger, to conquer the danger, to reverse the danger, those very people that God has given the power to, to change things are, for lack of better words, the largest percentage of them. And I'm talking about evangelical, born-again Christians, people who claim to be Christians. Because after all, if you're claiming to be a Christian, then you're supposed to have Christ living in you. You're supposed to be born again. You're supposed to have the mind of Christ. The mind of Christ comes from renewing our minds with the Word of God. So, the, one of the most important parts of this equation is simply this. 
the people that God has given the power to, to stop or reverse this great danger. The danger right now, and I'm not embellishing one iota, the danger right now is so potentially catastrophic, so potentially dangerous, that the destruction of America will be horrific beyond description. That is not an exaggeration on my part. That is not an embellishment for the purpose of a sensationalism. I'm simply telling you the facts. I'm simply telling you the way it is and the way it's going to play out. And people say, well, how do you know that, Paul? Blah, 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 blah. I know that because I've spent over 40 years researching this. I know that because uh, of the, the numerous other voices that, that are rising. Some are not Christians, some are Christians, but there is a, a, a rising crescendo of voices warning the same thing all across the spectrum of American society. And, and they may not agree on everything, but they agree on the basics. America has never been in greater danger than it is right now. So the question is, what is going to happen? Okay, let's, let's give you the short version. We're facing an economic crisis of unprecedented proportions. We are at the tipping point. We, we have uh, a, a group of people, 1% of the Earth's population, who are called the globalist elite or the Luciferian elite. And the term Luciferian elite is a term that I coined uh, on a popular public level. Uh, Quite a number of years ago, and then it caught on and spread throughout the culture. Because when I used, when I first came out with the term the Luciferian elite, it was I, I used that term on a regular basis in in a series of uh, articles that I wrote over a period of years. And collectively, these articles, and I'm not embellishing at all, these articles that I wrote were were read by uh, a combined approximate but very realistic total of in the millions of people. Millions of people read these articles because back then when I wrote these articles, um, I was not the target of all-out rigging and all-out attack via computer as I am now. Now, uh, when I speak the truth, as I was speaking the truth back then, now I'm being marginalized, suppressed, attacked through very covert but electronically sophisticated mechanisms that many people are not even aware of. Some of you are aware of these things. And, and what they're doing is they're rigging the internet. It's like they rig elections. They can rig the internet. And if they don't like what somebody's saying, and if you want to know what they don't like, I'll tell you really simply, what they don't like is anybody who speaks the truth. What they don't like is anyone who dares to shine the light in the darkness. What they don't like is anybody who exposes their evil deeds, and the hidden works of darkness. If, if you know of an individual that is faithfully doing those things, I, I guarantee you that they will be, sooner or later, under attack, overtly or covertly. And it will be done through sophisticated technologies, AI or artificial intelligence, computer bots. They will manipulate how many... Uh, supposed viewers that person has, or watchers, or followers, uh, or readers, or people that like it. They have to manipulate those numbers. And, and the reason they're manipulating the numbers is they have to artificially or synthetically shrink 
the numbers. And when somebody does that, that's called lying. That's called rigging the system. That's what they do when they when when somebody uh, wins the presidency of the United States, and they don't like what that president. When I say they, the globalist elite, the Luciferian elite, if they don't like what that president stands for, who who won the election, then they will undo the election. They will reverse the results of the election through rigging the election. And rigging can be false counting. Most often, the rigging is done through a network of computer systems and computers that have been programmed to bias the results, the numerical results, in favor of the candidate that the elite want in. And the numbers or the number of people who voted for a president who the people, by an overwhelming percentage, wanted to win, mysteriously does not win. Why? Because they've rigged the elect the election electronically. They falsified the results. And that's very easy to do with computers and, and other things. So the purpose of rigging elections, <clears throat> manipulating the results of uh, social media is to this is the goal, and, and, and we have to understand very clearly what the goal is. <clears throat> the goal is to take away the power, to take away the influence, to take away the, the possible or potential impact or the potential change that that individual is in the process of bringing about or. Uh, will be in the process of bringing about in the future. So the way they destroy that individual or that organization or that idea, the way they destroy it is they rig the election, they falsify the, the numbers of votes, etc. They falsify it because when you artificially, through AI, when you artificially reduce the numbers, it creates the illusion or more accurately, it creates the lie, as in liar, as in lies, as in Satan is the father of lies. It, it creates a lie about the individual or the idea that has growing popular support. The way they want to destroy that is by minimizing, shrinking artificially the, the numerical number of votes, the, the numbers of followers and likes, etc., etc. The purpose of that process of ringing the internet or an election, the purpose and the goal is to suppress or to keep down the power and the influence of the individual or the organization or their ideas. In other words, it's an electronic psychological warfare, and, and we need to become increasingly sophisticated about understanding uh, how that works with precision. We have to understand how that game works. So if somebody has ideas which may be true, which may be good for America, which may be Christian ideas or biblical ideas, they obviously do not want those ideas to, to take root, to grow or spread. So they will use computer technology and other methodologies to artificially reduce the numbers that that person has, and the goal is to suppress them, uh, to make them less than what they are, and the game plan is to do it in such a way so that when people 
are trying to make an estimation or to make an appraisal about that individual, about that idea or that group, they will have their own data that they made up and bought and paid for. They will have their own statistics that they that they paid for. And the purpose of their statistics and data is so that they can point to that data, even though it's false, even though it's a lie, most people just unthinkingly accept it and they don't question it. But the goal is to decimate the individual or group and give people the lying idea. Notice how many lies are part of this this agenda. To give people the lying idea that, well, nobody supports that person. Nobody believes what that person is saying. And so it's a method. It's, it's It's a method in psychological warfare is what it is. It's one technique among many in an ongoing psychological warfare for the heart and soul of America. And it's a way of destroying leaders, destroying Christian leaders especially. It's a way of of destroying a Christian leader or a Christian organization or a Christian ministry's ability to preach the gospel, to uh, communicate biblical values. When you wage this form of psychological warfare on individuals and ministries and groups, uh, what you're doing is you're, you're destroying, you're attempting to destroy them as leaders through suppression and minimization. But then, on a very basic and practical level, you are, you are significantly eroding, in some cases, you're eroding their ability to generate funding, donations, money and contributions that actually finance everything that they're doing. Because we all know, whether it's a ministry or a, a, a Christian organization or whatever it is, you know, you can be as idealistic as you want to be, but in the real world, you need money to finance those operations because it takes money to finance an operation and to promote ideas. You're competing with people. Christians are competing with with nothing less than super billionaires and trillionaires, uh, also known as the globalist elite. Christians are competing with some of the, the wealthiest individuals in the world. And these wealthy individuals, even though they only represent 1% of the population of the world, they control and own 99% of the wealth. So what we have is a situation where only 1% of the global population is literally controlling in a dictatorial manner the other 99% of the population. So the globalist elite, which only represent 1% of the population, they are by far the minority, but their views are very, very radical and very anti-Christian. And because they have an endless source of money and control wealth, they can promote and push forward their agenda. They can finance their agenda, and they can spend their unlimited funds uh, in an effort to destroy any opposition. And that's what's going on right now in America. We have billionaires, not that many of them, but they are ramrodding all kinds of dark, evil, satanic agendas upon American society and the world based on based on this, based on the fact that their worldview, that their belief system could be uh, accurately described 
as that they are radical secular humanists, they are radical transhumanists, they they are militant, activistic, um, uh, Marxist communists, because it serves their purpose. Remember, remember this, it's very important, I explain it in my book. I've never heard anybody, I've never heard anybody identify this problem before, and I've never heard anybody explain this before, and this is not bragging, it's a fact, except myself. I was the first person to, in many respects, I was the first person to break out the truth in many, many areas long before even the conservative population or the Christian population caught up. And that's because I've been doing this for decades. And one of the things that I understood early on, which is still not understood by, by uh, conservatives and Christians, one of the things I understood was that communism and Marxism, and even fascism, were systems created by the globalist elite or the Luciferian elite. The, they were created as systems that would enable the globalist elite and the super-rich to, to almost instantly conquer a nation, raid out all the wealth of a nation, take the labor force of any given nation, and, and make them, by brute force, work for the globalist elite for free at slave labor wages. In other words, what I have been saying, teaching, documenting, uh, and and, and shining the light on this, because it, nobody knows it. It should be obvious, but nobody knows it. What I've been exposing is this simple truth, and it's a fact, and I document it in my books like uh, The Greatest Battle for the Hearts and Minds of Mankind in the History of the World, Power from on High, and A Prophecy of the Future of America. I, dom- I document what I'm saying now and that principle in my books with factual documentation. So once again, let's review what I've been teaching. What I have been teaching is the fact that communism, Marxism, and socialism are at their uh, basis. They are nothing more than transformational mechanisms created by the globalist elite and the Luciferian elite and the super wealthy. They were created by the globalist elite and the Luciferian elite as transformational mechanisms that allow the super-billionaire class, the 1%, to take over and conquer any nation they want to, to raid that nation of all its wealth, to, to get free labor or slave labor wages. So they, the globalist elite, working through proxy corporations or working through dummy corporations. In other words, you have these corporations that you think are independent corporations, but in reality, these so-called independent corporations are nothing more than the puppets that are being controlled by the true puppet masters behind the scenes. And so you don't really have a communist revolution, which was the case in communist Russia or communist China. Those weren't really, when you got right down to it, they weren't really communist revolutions. What they were was a kind of theater, a theatrical presentation, which was designed to fool the masses into thinking that the people were rising up all by themselves to liberate themselves from oppression by the super wealthy. That is not true. That's totally a a fiction. That's a fairy tale invented by the globalist elite. 
what all communist revolutions are in reality, including fascist Nazi revolutions, what all of them are in, in reality is their mechanism, mechanisms. They're wolves in sheep's clothing. They come off like sheep, but they're really wolves. And they are the wolves owned by the globalist elite. And their purpose is to steal all the wealth out of a nation like Russia or China, to steal all the labor and make people work at slave labor wages. And it gives them now the excuse and the pretense and the cover to totally dominate a nation, any nation, dominate the mass population. It gives them the permission and green light to use the most sophisticated uh, totalitarian electronic surveillance technology on their own people and turn all of those nations that I'm talking about, to turn them into literal slave camps where the people are oppressed, killed, and they have no rights, and they've never been worse off in their entire lives. And all of this is made possible by the subterfuge and criminal planning and, and the secret financing that goes on behind the scenes where the Luciferian elite and the globalist elite and the 1% super capitalist, super rich use their vast fortunes to finance all these communist and Nazi revolutions. But they're not doing it to liberate anybody. They're doing it to enslave the masses, to, to force the masses to work for the super rich at slave labor wages or for free. And it gives them the open door to dominate in, a, in, in any nation like a dictatorship. See, you see the game? It's, it's, it's to use an old obsolete expression from generations ago that, that you might find humorous because it's so antiquated an expression. But when I was a young kid, there was an expression that has long ago ceased being, you know, hip or cool to use. But I'm going to use it anyway because it illustrates the point. When you see a communist revolution, when you see a globalist revolution, when you see an environmental revolution or a green revolution, when you see a Marxist revolution or a Nazi revolution, you, you better know your, the facts. And the facts are this. Those revolutions have nothing whatsoever to do with liberating people, uh, distributing the wealth equally, or bringing the people heaven on earth. They have nothing to do with any, any of that. What they're really all about, and here's the old antiquated expression, what they're really all about is they're playing the game that used to be called the old switcheroo. <laughs> I laugh when I think about it because it's, you know, it's an out-of-date expression. But when you see these revolutions, the revolution of the United Nations for a new world order and stuff, in every one of these cases, the communist Marxist revolutions, they're playing the same game and, the, and an old-fashioned uh, uh, name for the same old game is this, and I'm going to say it. I think it's funny. I think it's humorous, but but it drives the the point home. They're playing the game called the old switcheroo, and the, and and what the old switcheroo when when that was a common expression, switcheroo means you think you're getting one thing. So like you go into a jewelry store, and you have a, a purse filled uh, with I don't know two thousand dollars in cash. And if you go into this jewelry store and you intend to buy, you know, some gold, some, some precious stones that are not too costly, but they still have value, okay? 
So you, you, you empty out all the, 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 the money you have in your purse, and you intend to buy these, these lower-cost diamonds or whatever jewels that the money you have will buy, okay, or a gold ring or something. Okay, so when you make the transaction, you're, the salesperson has got you caught up, and you're, and you're really paying attention to what the salesperson is saying. You're not paying attention to where your money's going and where he's retrieving or she's retrieving the, the, the jewels from or, or the, the precious metals from. So when they have your mind occupied and you're not fully attention, you're, you're not, your t- attention is not fully focused on what's going on, then they have the opportunity to play the old switcheroo on you. you what they're doing is they're switching what you, you think you bought. So you think you're buying, you think you're buying some jewels moderately priced, but that they have value. That's what you think you're buying. Jewels and gold or silver that have a certain amount of value. Okay, that's what you think you're buying. But, but because they've got your attention diverted, you don't realize that as they're depositing the cash in, in the cash register or whatever, and as they're unlocking a box near the display windows, you don't notice that they're reaching not for the not for the, the the jewelry the jewels on the very top shelf with the lights on it. Uh, you're not you're, they're not reaching for the gold or silver that's also on the top shelf with the lights on it. They they act like they are, but in reality they're reaching below that shelf to another shelf that's hidden in, in, in kind of a semi darkness. And what they're doing is they're not giving you what you think you paid for. They're they're playing the old switcheroo on you. They're they're reaching for essentially valueless or practically worthless jewels or very low, low low-grade gold or silver. So you're getting cheated. You thought you were buying something of value. You gave your money to them expecting to get something of value, but they switched it on you. So instead of getting the jewels or jewelry of value or the gold of silver of value, they switched it. And they gave you essentially worthless or uh, very low, low uh, value or low, low worth jewels or silver or gold. And so the expression for that kind of uh, dishonest uh, uh, salesmanship where they're stealing from you is called the switcheroo. They're switching. It's a game where you think you're getting one thing, you're getting something else. It's the old switcheroo. And the reason it's called the old switcheroo is that form of cheating. And stealing has been around in the human race since the beginning of time. Thus, it's called the old switcheroo. Now, I'm sure you greatly appreciate if any of you may know that expression. It was big in New York many, many moons ago. But for those of you that that have never heard of it, I I don't think it's going to do you a whole lot of good (laughs) because nobody's going to know what the heck you're talking about. But you know, you know what it's like. We've all had this experience. Sometimes, many times. Probably the majority of the time, you and I, when somebody's trying to cheat, cheat us, we see it. We catch them in the act. I think most of us catch them in the act. But there's, there's that percentage, a smaller percentage, perhaps, where they divert our attention. Remember, the diverting of your attention is an all-essential act in not only psychological warfare, but the, it, the diverting of your attention off of what is important onto what is not important is an essential act and essential methodology in conquering a person, conquering a nation, 
uh, stealing from people. Works of darkness are, are carried out strategically. And therefore, a key component is you, you have to divert an individual or a person's attention off of what's important, like watching carefully what's happening to your money and making sure you're actually getting what you paid for, that they're not switching it from you in the old switcheroo. So I, I just want to remind you, because we do talk a lot about psychological warfare, we talk about the fact and the reality that America is literally under siege right now. We have been infiltrated. In fact, we have been infiltrated. America was infiltrated many decades ago. And tragically, and I do not, I, I repeat, and I'll repeat it a thousand times over, I do not like having to be the one to say this. It's not just because it makes, it, it makes me unpopular in some circles, that that's not the reason. It, it's not for other reasons. The reason that I don't like to be the one talking about this all the time is that people misperceive your motive and intent and, and think that perhaps uh, you're just trying to express anger or, or vent or something. And, and, and so there's a certain amount of pain that I have to deal with and anguish that I have to deal with when I speak the truth. I try to, to the best of my ability, I try to speak the truth in love. But you see, there are other factors involved, and you know this because you practice this in your life. There are other factors involved. And one factor is your conscience before God. If you know what is right and you choose to do wrong, that is called the sin of omission. And it's a sin before God. And, and the, the account of the watchman on the wall is, is perhaps one of the most important passages in the Bible which teaches us not only about the role of the official watchman on the wall over Israel, because that is a calling of God. I believe that calling of God is transferable to, to the New Testament as well. But also, um, as an individual made in the image of God, every one of us, whether you believe you're a watchman on the wall or you were called to be a watchman on the wall, or not, is irrelevant. Every true Christian is called to be on the lookout, because that's love in action. That's agape love in action. Every true Christian is called to be on the lookout for enemies, for wolves in sheep's clothing, for false teachers, for, for thieves, for criminals, for dictators, for, for people that are in the plot, that, for people that are literally in the latter stages of plotting the total destruction of America, which guarantees the, the mass enslavement. Do you hear what I'm saying? I'm telling you the truth. Whether you like it or not, I'm telling you the truth. And I'll continue to tell the truth. And I, in the final analysis, I will not make my decision whether to tell the truth or to be silent. That decision will never be made based on false criteria such as, does it make me popular? Will it cause my ministry to grow? Will, will, will it cause more people to come to, to Paradise Mountain Church? Those are not honorable uh, justifications for doing or not doing something. The Bible says that if you know to do right, but you do wrong, that's a sin. And so I have an obligation, like every one of you, every true Christian has an obligation to keep their eyes out for evil and the activity of evil, and then you have an obligation to warn God's people 
to warn the elderly, to warn widows, to warn children, to warn those people who are most vulnerable. You have an obligation, I have an obligation before God to take a stand and speak out. And not only that, we have an obligation to do whatever we can as an individual. We have an obligation before God to take a stand and to resist evil, to fight off evil, and to protect people from evil. Now, God expects that that would be done in a law-abiding and peaceful manner. But things can be done in a a law-abiding and peaceful manner, and yet still um, they would represent uh, an act of strength and an act of force. Not illegal force, not not irresponsible violent force, uh, a restrained and controlled force where you use the power and the wisdom that God has given you to subdue or overcome or conquer evil before evil overcomes and conquers everybody. That's why Jesus said that we're supposed to be like the salt of the earth. The the idea is that uh, food and stuff like that is very bland tasting if there's no salt to it. Also, salt is a preservative that keeps bacteria and things of that nature from spreading on food. So Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. But if, if we, as the body of Christ, lose our salty quality, Jesus said, that, that if we, the church loses its saltiness, then the only thing that the church will then be good for will be to throw the salt down in the dirt and trample upon it with your feet because it's useless. Salt that has lost its saltiness, or as Jesus said, salt that has lost its savor, uh, has also lost its ability to flavor food and function as a preservative. And therefore, according to Jesus, the church, when it has, has lost its saltiness, is useless. The only thing you can use it for is nothing. So you throw it on the floor and, and stomp on it with your feet. Okay, so what we're getting down here to is this. For whatever reason, I believe the devil has established what could be called a beachhead. A beachhead is when the enemy invades a territory, and and it refers actually to forms of warfare and battle when the enemy shows up in boats or in you know anything from battleships to rowboats to canoes to whatever. The size of the boat is secondary. The key thing is a nation, a town, or whatever is being invaded by an enemy that is very dangerous. And um, so the enemy, you know, under cover of night or whatever, moves its ships, small or large, uh, onto a, a beach. And then the soldiers jump out of the boat and then pull with their ropes and stuff. They pull the boat, depending upon its weight, they pull the boat. Uh, they drag it across the sands of the beach, and they pull it deep enough in, into the beach to hide the boat physically, but also they pull the boat deep enough into the beach so that when the tide comes in and when the tide comes out, the boat won't float and then just go out to sea and disappear. So when the soldiers land, like like the soldiers landed and invaded the beaches in Normandy, um, where the Germans and the Nazis were were up in the mountainous hills overlooking the beach and the ocean, and and the Nazi soldiers were 
heavily fortified, had built all kinds of bulletproof compounds. And, and so in order for us to, to win World War II, our soldiers had to land on the beach, which meant there would be massive casualties in the numbers of American and other soldiers shot and killed and blown up. But they had to establish a beachhead. In other words, they had to, to exercise military dominion over various beaches, because strategically, if they could establish a beachhead, which is that dominion I'm speaking of, they could establish a beachhead, then they would be able to invade the nation and take it back from the Nazis and the Nazi soldiers. And that was the only way they could win the battles and then win the war. So when the expression, you know, the enemy has established a beachhead, it implies that the enemy has covertly sent his ships onto a particular beach area, dragged the, the, the ships or boats or whatever, and, and hid them. And then this also has allowed, uh, you know, a large number of soldiers to, to get out of those boats and to begin their assault, to begin their physical invasion of, of key uh, battle areas. In this case, it was, it was called Normandy, and, and the massive battle that determined the outcome of the war was called the invasion of Normandy. So in a similar way, using that as an analogy, America, the enemies of Jesus Christ, the enemies of God, the enemies of a biblical worldview, the enemies of the freedoms of America, the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, the enemies of our economy, the enemies of our people, the, the subversive soldiers and spies and infiltrators, etc., etc. They they had been they have been coming into America secretly over many decades. Now remember. This wave upon wave of, of covert invasion began to take off heavily in the late 1800s as communism and Marxism, as revolutionary movements, began to rise. And then when the communist revolution or the Bolshevik revolution of 1917 occurred in, in Russia, and then later on in China and Cambodia and North Vietnam, etc., etc., Communism, as well as fascism, which began in the 1920s in Nazi Germany, these revolutionary and anti-American movements began sending in spies and soldiers and infiltrators and sleeper cells. Then, when we had the various wars with the Middle Eastern nations and the rise of militant terrorists from other nations, they began to send in sleeper cells from all over the world. And, and people would disguise themselves as ordinary working Americans, and they gave them fake names, fake identities, fake jobs. Some of them were able to penetrate our military-industrial complex at the highest levels. And so they have been invading and infiltrating America for a long time. And our intelligence agencies have been doing what they can uh, to, to prevent that. Um, and but see also whether it's assigned or not, it is always the responsibility of the average American citizen to be a good American citizen and and to participate in this collective 
or unified or patriotic uh, stand to protect our nation, to not take our freedoms, our, our economy, et cetera, for granted. And so uh, when you get sworn, if you, if you become a legal immigrant and, you, and you, get, you have to memorize you know, all these things about our laws and the Constitution and American history in order to become a legal immigrant, and then you also uh, have to understand what America is all about to become a legal immigrant. And as you take your oath to become a legal American citizen, in the oath that you take, you swear, and I, I believe you uh, raise your right hand. I don't know if you still put your hand on the Bible, because I was, I was born an American citizen by birth, as many of you were. But you do still have to swear. I, I, I don't know if you put your hands on the Bible. I hope you do. And you say things like, you, you swear to help protect America from all enemies, foreign or domestic. So let me repeat that, because whether you took that oath as you became a legal immigrant, or, or, or whether you were born in America, the, the key thing is, once you're an American citizen, you legally um, have made a commitment to live your life in such a way that you're abiding by, by this oath, okay? And even if you were born in America, you were, you're, you're supposed to abide by this oath. And part of the oath says that you vow to protect America from all, all enemies, that means of whatever kind. You vow to protect America from all enemies, foreign and domestic. So what that means, obviously, is you vow to protect America from all enemies that are coming in from foreign nations, communist nations, any nation that has a collective ideology. And even though we have freedom of religion, that's true. But if a nation has a collective ideology or a collective theology to destroy or undermine America, then people coming from that nation um, need to be put through a process of evaluation so that they understand and we understand that they are now here and they will participate in things like vowing to protect America from all enemies, both foreign and domestic. So enemies can come in and infiltrate from foreign nations. So for example, and let me preface this by saying, what I'm about to say should not be misunderstood as anything more than what it is. So you need to understand that what I'm saying, uh, you can't walk off and misunderstand it and then blame me for it. You have the responsibility to understand properly and accurately what I'm saying. And I am not attempting to generate any kind of racism or, or dislike towards any people group or any nation or any race or any eth ethnic group. So let's get that established clearly. But the reality is that in all racial ethnic groups of all kinds, including you know, your traditional white American or whatever, um, there is a certain percentage 
and, and, and I'm sure that percentage differs from ethnic group, racial group, uh, but there's a certain percentage of people that have decided that they, they have decided and they have declared that they are uh, enemies of America. They view America as the enemy. And, and whether they come from foreign nations, they would be foreign enemies, or whether they come from these people come from America, then they would be they would be domestic enemies. And but but the vow says you you are to help protect America from all enemies, both foreign and domestic. Okay, so what does that mean? It means simply like we were talking about earlier, about the responsibility of love and the watchman and keeping your eyes open. And being on the lookout for evil, and then doing something about it—that's part of your responsibility. So, vowing to help protect America from all enemies, both foreign and domestic, means you keep your eyes open. You're on the alert. You're not asleep. Or anyone who may have infiltrated America or come up from within the ranks of America, who 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 have viewed, who now view America as their enemy, and they're they're agenda that they live by, their ideology that they live by, is to use whatever means necessary to destroy America, to weaken America, to undermine America, to overthrow America and the American system from within, or to bring in foreign agents to overthrow America from without. And then as as they sneak in from foreign nations, they become uh, by their own will, they become the enemies of America. They're subversive. Well, all of our jobs collectively as Americans is to be patriotic and on the alert for this. And then we're responsible to keep our eyes open. And then we're responsible to take active steps to work appropriately with law enforcement and law enforcement agencies making sure that that we are uh, seeking out agencies that have demonstrated that they are not only responsible to protect our nation, but that they, but they have in actuality been faithful over time in protecting our nation. So all of us collectively as Americans, we're responsible for that. It's called being a good American. Now, everything I just said has been used by the media the music industry, the stars, the movies, the, the directors, the writers, Hollywood, authors, the mainstream news media, mainstream media companies. And you will notice that over the last 50 years that there has been a steady and ongoing bombardment of propaganda, of lies, of psychological warfare targeting the American people, using psychological warfare to brainwash the American people and to to turn the american people so that they that they convert the american people ideologically to their viewpoint which might be communism or marxism or nazism or socialism or some radical uh religious sect or religion which is dedicated to the annihilation and destruction and the conquest of america you see our media has been brainwashing us uh, and, and part of the brainwashing is making you the object of ridicule and mockery if you take that commission uh, to to be on the lookout for all enemies, foreign, domestic. If you take that mandate seriously, 
the media suddenly mocks you. If you're pro-American, the media mocks you. And this is why, and I'm going to explain it in a minute. And when you, when many of you know some of this, but I'm going to open the doors to this, I'm going to expose it to the light of truth. And we're going to blow the deception out the window. And we're going to shine the blazing light of truth on the evil and the deceptive darkness that is threatening our nation at this very hour. Because what I'm talking about, my friends, is not a joke. It's not some self-entertainment session. It's not said for the purpose of amusement or anything like that. You're, you're talking to a guy that once upon a time, because I was raised in a humanistic, uh, atheistic, existentialist, transhumanist household, very liberal, because I was raised in that environment, I was not raised, quote, as anti-American ever. My father served in the military as an officer. Um, he was patriotic to America. My entire family was patriotic to America. However, we, we, because we moved in, in circles, we, uh, let's put it this way, we were kind of tolerant of uh, anti, semi-anti-American beliefs. By semi, I mean we would never think of opposing or being an enemy of America in any way, shape, or form. But, it, but when you excessively or unfairly criticize America, beyond which is true, when you, when you, through humor and jokes and books and stuff, begin to, whether you realize it or not, subtly undermine America, and, and you don't think you're doing it, but you're doing it. And that's like the norm now on all of our college campuses, and it's the norm in all of the media. So I was raised to be tolerant of these ideas, and tolerance, when you're tolerant, tolerance in many cases, not all cases, there are specified, there are specified and specific areas of tolerance which we could call admirable or virtuous. But those are specific areas of tolerance which we could call virtuous. But there are other areas of tolerance which we would have to label as either extremely foolish, extremely naive, or in a worst case scenario, if you're tolerant of things that are in the proven process of destroying you or destroying your nation, then you need to redefine yourself. You're not really tolerant as you think you are. What you really are is, without perhaps knowing it, what you really are is a danger to yourself, a danger to your nation, and ultimately, you would have to be defined as incredibly foolish, incredibly stupid, and incredibly naive. And that's probably an accurate collective assessment of the collective mental condition, no apologies intended, the collective mental condition of the average American and the and a large percentage of evangelical or Bible-believing Christians. Okay, you're listening to the Paul McGuire Report. The way we preserve our freedoms, our religious freedoms, the way we're allowed to continue to preach the gospel, it requires eternal vigilance, which means you are eternally on your guard. A great philosopher once said, the price of freedom is eternal vigilance. You're 24-7 on guard against attacks by an enemy. So if you want to keep your freedom, 
which is a gift from God. If you want to keep your freedom, you can never, ever let up on your vigilance. The price or the cost for you and your family and your loved ones of freedom is eternal vigilance. You must eternally wage war against deception and lies and subversion and propaganda or whatever. You must be eternally vigilant. So I'm asking you to stand with me, Paul McGuire, Paul McGuire Ministries in Paradise Mountain Church. I'm asking you to be eternally vigilant. Have your eyes wide open. Take law-abiding and peaceful, decisive action to protect your liberties and your freedoms and your nation, and especially your constitutional right to freedom of religion, freedom of speech, and freedom of the press, and the freedom of assembly. These are your constitutional rights. Know that when you see these rights being eroded or attacked, that the purpose of eroding and attacking your constitutional rights, like religious freedom, there's a very fundamental purpose in those attacks. The the purpose of those attacks is to destroy Christianity. Do you understand what I'm saying? To destroy America to destroy your freedoms, to to destroy everything that is good and decent, to destroy the American family. Okay, it's not a game that we're in right now. We are deep, deep, deep into an all-out cultural war, or perhaps more accurately, we're deep into a spiritual war in which either Satan and the the demons and the false and and the uh, fallen angels will win, and all those who who are pledging their allegiance to Satan will win, or God's people, those people who have accepted Jesus Christ, those people who believe in the Bible, or they will be victorious in this present moment spiritual war because they are not disobeying God, they're obeying God, they're being eternally vigilant, they have their eyes wide open, and when they see evil attempting to covertly bring down our nation or our religion, or other things that are virtuous, which is our real strength, when we see that, that we don't turn a blind eye to it, but we rise in the power of the Holy Spirit, and we take decisive, law-abiding, peaceful action, which is needed now more than ever. We're going to get into that in just a moment. I need you to stand with me. By the way, the way you can stand with me is to recognize that, hey, Paul McGuire, this ministry, etc., I'm not CBS. My last name isn't Rockefeller. I don't have an endless supply of money. And all warfare, spiritual warfare or otherwise, requires financing and donations and contributions. If you believe in saving America, if you want to do what you can to rescue our nation and preserve our religious freedoms, I'm asking you to simply ask God in prayer what you can give financially or donate or contribute, and then whatever amount of money God puts on your heart. Simply obey him. I'm not asking for anything more but for you to obey Jesus. And then I need you to be a prayer warrior for us, me, the ministry, my family, and those associated with the ministry. And I need you to pray in in prayer warfare uh, against the principalities and powers that we're engaged in combat with. And finally, I need you to stand with me, which many of you have done, thank you, by joining my e-blast list, signing up for our social media pages, liking, following our social media pages. Thank every single one of you for taking a a few seconds or a few minutes of your time to help us expose the, the lying and the rigging targeted against us and 
Thank you for helping us to break the rigging by forcing them to publish the truth. When you vote, like, you know, and follow our social media at paulmcguire.us. That's paulmcguire.us. This is Paul McGuire. We'll be back in just a second. Okay, wherever you are on planet Earth, these principles apply to whatever nation you live in. I'm speaking, of course, of America because we're in America and the majority of our audiences in America. Although, uh, in the last five years or, or more, actually, we've picked up a very large audience in many foreign nations. And what I've noticed about all these people who are listening to the Paul McGuire Report in foreign nations is that the vast majority of the people listening in these foreign nations, when I look at their communication to me, and I notice what nation they're in, I noticed that many of them come from nations that will um, that are that have had to fight a, a potential communist takeover, or nations like South Korea, which was once uh, there was once just Korea. And then there was the Korean War, and North Korea split off, as you know, and became communist. South Korea became free, like the United States of America. And so we have a lot of followers in South America. We even have followers in, in South Korea, excuse me. We have a lot of followers in South Korea. And here's something that's ironic, because people it's very difficult for people in hardcore communist nations to even get on the Internet and hear people like me, because they could be arrested. They're, they're being monitored. Their Internet habits are being monitored. And so we even have, and this is across the world, we have a growing number of people listening to us from high censorship nations like the, like the communist nations. And that's a good thing, because they're hearing the gospel, they're hearing the truth. So thank you for standing with me and supporting us uh, in the outreach towards these nations. And and one thing that I that I've noticed also is that there is statistically a large percentage or a significant percentage of regular listeners to the Paul McGuire report who come from these nations like uh Vietnam. Of course the Vietnam War uh you, you know was a split and you have essentially communist Vietnam and regular Vietnam. And uh, even though they allow tourists in, that area of Vietnam is, is uh, communist, officially communist, as I understand it, because it's, as I recall looking at some documentation, it said something about uh, the People's Republic of North Korea or something, which is kind of a is communist term terminology. But here's what I found very interesting. And I don't want to make a... Uh, an assumption that may not be true, but I would guess, and I could be wrong, but I, I think to, to accurately guess, I would say that the people that are listening to us uh, in all these different nations across the world, that many of them would have to be, well, so some are working class, probably more are middle class, and then you have a certain amount that are upper middle class or maybe even upper class. But they all have a hunger for truth. But what amazes me is that 
many of the people that give to this ministry in terms of donations and contributions, they're giving, and they they're giving in proportion to to their wealth. But and, and I don't imagine most of them are wealthy. They're hardworking, I would imagine. But but they're giving to this ministry on a regular basis, and some of them on a regular basis are giving proportionately a significant amount of money in proportion to, to what they earn, in proportion to their total budget. In other words, it's my perception that they are seriously sacrificing in order to give money to this ministry because they value very highly what we're doing in terms of, of tackling the issues about freedom and communism and the gospel of Christ and salvation. They appreciate that because they have, they've escaped communism. And so their giving in proportion is, is quite large uh, in contrast to what they actually make. And it's really staggering how much they sacrifice. And the only reason I'm bringing it up, I'm not bringing it up, obviously, to, to antagonize my American uh, uh, audience and American partners, of, of which we are very thankful of, too. But I'm simply saying this is that I find that surprising because, generally speaking, they've had a harder time. They've had to escape communism. And what they're giving proportionally, I'm assuming, and if I'm correct, it, it represents quite a sacrifice. And, and this goes back to years ago when I was on the radio talking about communism and all this stuff. And I would have a very large response, obviously, from, from the American audience. But percentage-wise and in terms of proportion, I had a massive audience of people that came from or their parents came from what could be called formally or currently communist or Marxist nations. And the reason they, they, they were so pulled in by this program and, and what I've had to say is because they lived through it. They knew firsthand the absolute horrors of living in a communist dictatorship or a Marxist dictatorship. And what you find is that people who have lived through that kind of hellish suffering, and that, by that I mean living in a communist dictatorship, they are oftentimes more on fire, give more sacrificially, um, will stand up uh, aggressively and intelligently for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'm not saying they're better than us or more spiritual than us, but let's be honest. When people who have suffered to a high degree in areas like this or any area, basically you understand and I understand that it's, it's kind of like human nature. When you've been through hell and you know what caused that hell, you're, you, you become one who, who's far more aggressive, far more bold, far more committed, far more in fire than somebody who didn't have to go through all that horror and pain and hell. Do you understand what I'm saying? People always ask me, why am I so passionate about the gospel? Why am I so on fire about the gospel? Well, I will always say, and it's true, it has nothing to do with some virtue of me. There's nothing extra spiritual about me. That has nothing to do with it. In fact, I have nothing to do with it. What happened is, is I was raised literally starving in a spiritual vacuum and I, I didn't know a living Christianity. I, I didn't know about being born again. I didn't know about having my sins forgiven. I didn't know about salvation, you see. And so I was militantly opposed to it, because that's the way I was raised. And I would mock, and I would intellectually humiliate in the classroom people who were Christians. 
I was kind of like, well, I don't want to say what I was kind of like because people will have the wrong idea. The point is, when I became saved, my appreciation uh, for what Jesus did to me set me on fire, and I'm still on fire after all these decades. That's not because I'm more virtuous, because I'm a better guy, because I'm more holy, because I'm more spiritual, or because I'm a better Christian than anybody else. All of those factors have absolutely nothing to do with it. What happened is when you go through something and you were hurt by it and you experience the hell of it, the hell you know that that represents, it changes you. So when you come out and find freedom, you are just more zealous and more on fire than somebody who never had to go through the hell and the torture and the fire of, of a godless nightmare. Do you know what I'm saying? I think you do. So, this is where we are in America. God has blessed America. That has been the source, basically, of our blessings, but potentially the source of certain curses. Because the American Drew came true to whatever degree, for many people to whatever degree, people, most Christians are thankful for when God blesses them. But only those people who have had to go through hell and God rescues them out of it, that changes your human nature, and you're set on fire, and, and, and you're just more spiritually amped up. Again, not because you're better, it's because you had to go through the horror. And, that, you know, people who were trapped by deep sexual sin, like, like you know, we would minister to, I, on the previous Paul McGuire show, uh, I don't want this to be taken in the wrong way, but we had a sizable percentage of female strippers, and I'm keeping this at an adult tone as best I can, female strippers, uh, uh, let's just call it female adult workers, you know what I mean, okay, oldest profession in the world type thing. We had a significant percentage of women who were either in those positions or they escaped out of it. The ones that escaped out of it and were delivered, they were on fire. They would come on the program and give their testimony. One girl uh, was a Playboy bunny, working as a Playboy bunny at Hugh Hefner's, whatever it's called, the Playboy Mansion. Well, she became on fire for the Lord, married a pastor, a pastor's wife. We had another girl, a similar situation. Uh, now she gives her testimony, and she, she, there's an emphasis on, on, on sexual purity in her life in a good way, okay, not in a distorted way. And so, because of what these women went through, they became zealous and on fire spiritually. It's just part of the dynamic of what happens to us when, when we, we have to go through hell of sorts. So, having said that, oh, and, and you say, well, how do you know you had all these females in these different positions, you know, professions, uh, who became Christians and were formerly strippers, etc. Because they would call the show unsolicited. They would give their testimony. I used to have people call. I would have, well, I'm trying to be delicate as possible, but I would have women who were like, she just, this woman described herself as like the high class call girl or the, the highest class of call girl. Out of the blue, she calls. And She's wrestling. She's under the conviction of the Holy Spirit about getting out of it. So we're talking about it. And then we had other callers, 
girls who worked at a, a well-known in, in Orange County certain kind of club, okay? Uh, and I'll leave it at that. You can, you can fill in the blanks. And one, I'll never forget one girl, because I would minister to them. I wouldn't throw stones at them. I remember one girl, and many of these girls were mothers. And I remember one girl calling up and, and saying what her lifestyle was, her job. And then she called me right, literally right before she was going to go on stage and do her thing, for lack of better words. And yet she openly was confessing the torment that she was experiencing. And yet she was terrified of just abruptly quitting her job and all these other factors. Well, the point is, the majority of these girls, partially through the ministry of our radio program and partially through the ministry of girls who did get saved and then would witness to their co-workers and friends, they would get saved. And so we began to reap a spiritual harvest of salvation in, in a job community area that, that a lot of churches won't touch with a 10-foot pole. The point is, these girls, the ones who do get saved, which was the larger percentage, they turned their lives over to Jesus Christ, and they became zealous for Christ. They were, they were not lukewarm Christians. They were on fire for God. Okay, so God blesses America, the prayers of the pilgrims and Puritans. The American dream becomes at least a possibility for many people. The problem is that materialism, which really took off at the end of World War II, that materialism and economic prosperity that blessed America also, as the Bible reveals, God is not against prosperity, but prosperity all often brings with it a hidden temptation of idolatry and materialism and a propensity to blacks, a backslide because you think, well, you got it all together. After all, you don't need God. So we have to admit that that has been an important component in a, a seed of destruction against the American soul, because the devil will come in and exploit that dynamic and tempt people who've been prospered or blessed by God. He will tempt them to, to pull away from God, to get involved in sin. It's a very subtle process. So I'm not saying that prosperity and being blessed and, and accomplishing your goals and things like that is sinful or wrong. I am certainly not saying that. that the Bible doesn't say that. But when you're in that position, Sometimes it can be, uh, it can potentially be negative because if you think you have everything you need, then you think falsely that you don't need God. And then you become overly independent in your spirit, which leads you to a form of rebellion and rejection from God. So, those, so that's why in the 60s and the 70s, you began to see, you know, we saw the Jesus movement. That's a good thing. Uh, by the way, the Jesus movement just didn't happen on the West Coast. Jesus movement was roaring and alive and well in the East Coast and in New York City. I know because I was involved in one of the top East Coast Jesus ministries. So, so to, 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 to depict the Jesus movement as strictly a West Coast phenomena is, is erroneous. It was, it, it was alive and well all over New Jersey, New York, all over the East Coast. It was alive and well. Okay, so, so the, the key thing here is that in the 70s, through the seminaries, theological seminaries, Christian colleges, etc., they, they began to suddenly become tolerant of false doctrine. 
They began to embrace humanism instead of biblical principles, and they began to veer off. Christians began to veer off. The theology professors began to veer off from true biblical Christianity, and they began to embrace a kind of watered-down, humanistic, slash, New Age-type Christianity, which, which essentially is a false gospel and a false doctrine. Okay, so what that does to the average individual Christian, what that does to the average churchgoer over time, if they aren't studying the Bible for themselves, over time, they, whether they realize it or not, perhaps they're inadvertently allowing the intensity and purity of their true biblical Christianity to become diluted, and they open themselves up to a diluted, aberrant form of Christianity, where they're, where they're now uh, accepting uh, humanistic and New Age ideas instead of biblical ideas. So what happens, and what did happen as time progressed, you, you now have a very watered-down and weakened form of, of Christianity. In fact, it's no longer biblical Christianity, but it really is. It's a humanistic form of Christianity. Now, that's the way the enemy works. So what accelerated that movement from true Christianity, from true biblical morality, to humanism, into socialism, into Marxism, what accelerated, accelerated that progression what accelerated that rejection of God and God's word was the fact was the fact that America had for decades beforehand, and it really began to take off in the 60s, the 70s, and the 80s, America beforehand had been steadily infiltrated by agents of communism and Marxism and socialism and back in World War II, agents of Nazism and agents of Eastern mystical and occult religions. So all of these agents of Antichrist ideologies and Antichrist movements are beneath the surface and subversively attacking true biblical Christians, attacking the evangelical church, infiltrating and penetrating their seminaries, evangelical seminaries, evangelical colleges and high schools, etc., their evangelical denominations. And this infiltration is massive, it's heavily financed, and it's corrupting, and it's weakening, and to use a more precise word, it's actually killing and destroying the, the vibrancy of the true body of Christ, filled with the true Holy Spirit, and renewed by the true Word of God. So the reality is, to say it succinctly and to be directly to the point, collectively, Many Christians, not all, but many Christians in America dropped their guard, became tolerant of evil, rejected teachings of the Bible, and began accepting instead the teachings of humanism and secularism and materialism and hedonism, etc., etc. They became the new gods of America. And that brings us to the present moments. moment. We would not be in this present moment of ultra danger without there having been first a massive, subversive, covert invasion of the Christian church, of Christian seminaries, Christian colleges, Christian denominations, and Christianity, biblical Christianity, and evangelical Christianity as a whole in America, stopped adhering to the purity and the power of the true gospel of Jesus Christ, 
began rejecting the Word of God. And in the process of that rebellion, because that's exactly what it is, by the way, in the process of God's people spiritually rebelling from the God of truth, Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. Through the process of rejecting the truth of the Word of God, the absolute truth of the Word of God, in the process of worshiping idols, in the process of of, of veering away from the, the, the true truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we end up following a different gospel, we end up worshiping a different Jesus, and now, because we have allowed ourselves to be in a weakened spiritual condition, the devil is fully cognizant of the fact, because the devil is not stupid, the devil is, is, is perfectly aware that this is the perfect time to attack the true Christian church of God in America. The devil and the demons and the fallen angels and those that follow the, the devil, including the globalist elite and the Luciferian elite, they're not stupid. They have the perception, the education, the training, and the knowledge to understand and to discern with great clarity that this is a pivotal moment for them, a pivotal opportunity for them in history, and that the fact of the matter is the Christian church has weakened in its spiritual power because the Christian church has become weakened in its commitment to the Word of God. It's become weakened in its its, uh, dedication to being filled with the power of the Holy Spirit on a regular basis. So now we have, as a generalized spiritual condition, a weakened Christian church. So what better time for the devil and the fallen angels and the demons? What better time could there be than right now and right at that moment when they observed and saw quite clearly that the Christian church had become weak, that the Christian church had had lost the fullness of the power of the Holy Spirit, that it had no that it had no longer adhered to believing the Word of God and, and activating the mind of Christ. The Christian church was now in a, is in a dangerously weak position. So what do you think the devil, the demons, the fallen angels, and those that were agents of communism and Marxism and the occult and the New Age and, and all the enemies of Jesus and the gospel, what do you think they did? All those energized by the spirit of Antichrist, what do you think they did? Well, you know what they did. They did exactly what you think they would do. They noticed that the church in America had become weak, and therefore now was the time to strike. They knew, I mean, anybody in the military would tell you the same thing, that you would strike when your enemy is weak, because your chances of winning skyrocket statistically. When your enemy is weak, that gives you an advantage in the battle, and you can win the battle. And so that's exactly what they did. They, the communists and Marxists penetrated by plan, heavily financed. They, they are known today, and they were known when they began the process, as the Frankfurt School Marxist professors. Those are the secular atheist communist professors that originated in Frankfurt, Germany, and they created a plan to conquer America, overcome America, and and create a, a full-blown communist revolution in America and take it over through a kind of incremental approach, approach that emphasized art, literature, education, film, the entertainment industry, the music industry, and popular culture. Those were their battlefields. And so the Frankfurt School Marxists used their connections, used their organizational ability, and the Frankfurt School Marxist professors began to flood 
the Ivy League schools like Harvard and Yale and MIT and Stanford and on and on and on. And then colleges and universities across America were, were inundated, were infiltrated, were compromised because the number of hardcore Frankfurt School Marxist professors penetrating and controlling the internal workings of all these universities, they were winning. The communists were winning. And to this day, they have continued. They didn't slow down. They have continued to accelerate in the scope and depth of their communist conquest of America. And let's be honest, on a factual assessment, and I explain this in my book in detail, you need to read the books. You, you, you know, you've got a choice. You can be dumb, picked on, ridiculed, mocked, and disrespected, which is most Christians. I, I move around in a variety of social environments. And many of the times, not all the time, but many of the times when I hear a Christian stand up for the faith, they are pounced on. And sadly to say, they are publicly humiliated because sadly to say, when they're pressed, it turns out they don't really know what they're talking about. They don't have the facts. They don't have the documentation because they've never bothered to educate or train themselves. And as such, the enemies of the gospel make mincemeat out of them, a laughing stock. That is not the will of God. Non-Christians and the enemies of the gospel of Jesus Christ should literally fear, in a good way, should literally fear true born-again Christians. They should fear them in the following manner, not in some psychopathic, the Christian's a maniac, the Christian's going to kill me, the Christian is a cult member. No, 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 no. Nothing to do with that kind of nut, nut job stuff. They should be feared by, by describing fear in, in, in the proper sense of the word. They should have a very high respect, a very high respect, and, and even stand in awe. And then, yes, they should be afraid of entering into a verbal debate or an argument or a conflict with a true Bible Christian, because it should be the norm. It should be the norm, like 100% of the time, that when a non-Christian picks on a Christian and some issue of debate comes up, that the norm is that the Christian knows their stuff backwards and forwards, that the Christian knows their stuff, their material, vastly better than the non-Christian, and that every time you watch a debate between a Christian and a non-Christian, that Christian, in an, in, 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 in an intellectual sense, pulverizes, overwhelms the non-Christian with a superior intellectual, a superior theological, and a, a superior debating skill presentation. And there's no excuse for anything but that. The only reason this sloppy weakened warrior condition work is even around at all is because the churches, the pastors, the Christian seminaries and universities have lowered the bar of intellectual and theological excellence rather than raising the bar. It should be the norm that the Christian is, is in a good sense, armed and dangerous spiritually, speaking the truth in love and compassion but able to, to defeat any hollow and shallow argument, whether that argument pretends to be scientific or technological or whatever it is, they find themselves defeated, and therefore the cultural norm, the word on the street is, don't mess with a true born-again Christian. Don't try to pick on them and ridicule them for their faith, 
because they know their stuff. Maybe we don't agree with their Christianity, but we know they know their stuff, and we're going to leave them alone for, for, for the sake of our own survival, and we don't want to look like idiots. That should be the norm. This, this current norm is upside down, and it's disgusting, by the way, before God. I want to repeat that. The pilgrims and Puritans would never have tolerated such an upside-down mess in the Christian churches of America. They were formidable, fierce, intellectual, theological, philosophical opponents to everybody that opposed the gospel. They knew their Bibles backwards and forwards. They knew how to debate. They knew science. They knew physics. They knew philosophy. They were, in a good sense, spiritually armed and dangerous. And their ideas were so captivating, because they were true, that our founding fathers used all the ideas that the Pilgrims and Puritans proposed and put them in the Constitution and the Bill of Rights. That is the kind of vibrant Christianity which inevitably produces an authentic biblical revival and an authentic biblical Third Great Awakening. Laughing like a duck in an auditorium or a church, dodging the gold dust, rolling on the floor and barking, are not attributes that will win anybody to Jesus Christ. In fact, they'll think you're certifiably crazy and that you need to be committed or you're off your meds, and you will have discredited yourself and the gospel of Jesus Christ. True biblical Christianity is a reflection of truth in every area of life. God created our minds in the following way. He created a right hemispheric brain and a left hemispheric brain. A right and a left brain. In order for our our brain, which is a left brain and a right brain, to be operating at the highest uh, uh, operational uh, value possible, there must be a balance and there must be a harmony between the right brain and the left brain. Okay, so how this translates in the real world is that a true Bible-believing Christian should have knowledge because knowledge gives power. A true Bible-believing Christian should have trained themselves or have been trained in debating the Bible, defending the Bible, defending the faith of Christianity. A true Christian should know how to walk with Jesus. A true Christian should know how to be filled with the Spirit. A true Christian should be renewing their minds with the Word of God and studying the Word of God. A true Christian should have their intellectual, theological, philosophical, people's skill categories. They should be off the charts, as the Pilgrims and Puritans were. At the same time, that logical, that analytical, uh, that deductive reasoning and thinking power should be at its highest functional potential. Yet simultaneously, God wants you to be able to use the creative, the intuitive, to operate in the gifts of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, to, to minister in the power of the Holy Spirit, and to be able to practice an authentic and biblical supernatural Christianity and have a supernatural relationship with Jesus Christ. However, the two brain hemispheres, the right brain and the left brain, have to be harmonized. The the set of giftings and abilities that God gives you have to be harmonized. That protects you. On one hand, you should be able to operate in the power of the Holy Spirit, and you should be able to operate in the power of the supernatural. That's biblical, and you should be able to do that. But the only way you can do that is if you abide by and obey the logical, rational, biblical principles specified and outlined in the Scripture. 
In other words, you should be able to theologically and biblically know how to operate or not operate in the so-called gifts of the Spirit, especially the gift of discernment. So the Christian who's truly armed and dangerous spiritually is one that is both intellectually, theologically, philosophically, scientifically, and rationally operating at a razor's edge with the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. But simultaneously to that operation that produces a razor-sharp sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, simultaneously a true biblical Christian who operates in the power of the Spirit must also be intellectually, scientifically developed at the highest level. Their education, their research, their knowledge, their debating ability, their people skills should be off the charts. So when you have these two dynamics in harmony, you become unbeatable. You become undefeatable. You become scripturally, in a law-abiding and peaceful way, and I mean it within the context of true spirituality, you should become armed and dangerous so that the people who are following the devil, the people that are, that are motivated by the Antichrist spirit, think twice. It should be autopilot for them to think twice before attacking a true Christian. This is not about pride. This is not about, I got to win. This is not about ego. This is not about any of these secondary issues at all. This is about one thing and one thing only. If you say you love God, you understand God is love. Once you know that God is love and you worship God knowing that God who is love is living inside you, God is living inside you and God is love. Once you're walking in that truth, and then you develop all the areas of gifting that God wants you to be developed in, then you take the land. You occupy until he comes. There can be no biblical, authentic great awakening. There can be no authentic biblical revival unless there is a total dismantling of the satanic lies and the satanic strongholds attempting to dominate this nation. So, for example, take any area of cultural debate, like abortion or anything. If Christians cannot instantly deliver a superior, rational, spiritual, biblical argument on a moment's notice, then they don't belong in the spiritual battlefield. Ultimately, even though logic, technology, science, and everything else has to be integrated into everything we're talking about, the final battle exists in the spiritual realm. It's a spiritual battle. Now, one of the key things that is holding back God from pouring out a biblical revival and a biblical third great awakening is this false belief, a satanic stronghold adopted by and embraced by millions of Christians, sadly to say, where they falsely believe that authentic supernatural Christianity and the power of the Holy Spirit has to be synonymous with the de demonic. That is an irrational, non-theological proposition. It is complete idiocy to espouse such irrationality. We can take back America, but we need to use our brains logically, rationally, and with precision. At the same time, we must understand that every one of us are absolutely 100% dependent on the power of the Holy Spirit for final victory. So it's on that note that I ask you to stand with me. It is in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ.
King of kings and Lord of lords, that I ask you to stand with me now. And by standing, I mean embracing the full commitment of responsibility that entails becoming a true spiritual warrior who will obey his master, his supreme commander, the Lord Jesus Christ. Whenever the Lord Jesus Christ speaks to you through the Spirit or through the Word, you are to obey, just like a soldier obeys those uh, soldiers or officers above him or her. Together we can change the land, but let me tell you something, we better move fast. We better move fast. The enemy has broken through the gates, the enemy has come in from the inner parts of America, and now the enemy is coming in externally. We've been, we've been giving a mandate. Let's do it. Let's take back the land. It can be done. Oh, this, 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 this notion, this stronghold, this, this, this false ideology that, that Christians are destined by God to essentially evaporate and self-destruct. Where is that in the Bible? I'm talking about not cherry-picking verses out of context. I'm saying when you read the entirety of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation, how on earth did you ever come up with the theological oxymoron that, ooh, Christians are doomed to failure and self-destruction? Where did you get that idea from? Let me give you a hint. You didn't get it from the Bible. God bless you. This is Paul McGuire. Visit paulmcguire.us.